And Lord, we ask that this morning, you just really touch our hearts, that you'd encourage us. But Lord, we want to be found doing those things that give you pleasure. So we just pray, have your way in us and have your way through us. Now in Jesus' name, amen. How many people enjoyed the rugby last night? Yeah, two, three. What's happening up in Kaitaia? <laughs> Did you watch the Olympics? Anybody watch the Olympics? All right. Hey, I don't know about you guys, but um, I prefer to win rather than to lose. Isn't that right? How many people here want to be a loser in life? Put your hand up. All right. Now, we, in fact, how many people here uh, would be like me, would be rather competitive and stuff? You know, you go out fishing and you want to catch more fish than the person next year in the boat. You know, you're playing sport, you want to win rather than lose. Yeah, look, some honest ones back there. In fact, uh, I'm so competitive that uh, every Monday night we play cards with my son and we've been keeping the scores on our computer uh, every year so we can tell who's winning, who's losing and everything and it's a real, real, real battle. But the reality is that most of us in life want to win, not lose, okay? If we had a choice, uh, we'd want to have prophetic dreams. We want to live in a palace. We want to save nations. We want to be able to stand in front of our friends and say, I forgive you. We want to be on that side of life. But the reality is none of us want to be like Joseph, who was betrayed by his family, who was thrown in a pit, was sold as a slave, was wrongly accused of rape, was thrown and forgotten in prison. You see, we all want to have the end result. We all want to have the winning, but we never want to have the process that it takes to get to that spot. Uh, from the pit to the palace took Joseph 20 years. And we like the end result, but we don't like the journey. Uh, one of the least understood verses in the Bible is, is James chapter 1 and verses 2 through to 4. And it starts off by saying, Count it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, how many people would be honest and say, hey, when I have problems in life, I just say, whoopee, I just wanted that. I woke up this morning and wanted to be smashed. I, wanted up this, I woke up this morning and I want to be betrayed. I woke up this morning and I just wanted someone to dump everything on me. I mean, is there anybody like that? So what's this verse saying? How can you consider it pure joy when you have problems? Most of us can't because we don't understand the process. Problems, trials, difficulties, whether they are from the devil, whether they are our own making, whether they happen to us because we're simply living in a world that's falling apart, can all be used by God to grow and mature us. They're not supposed to destroy us. I worked for many years for New Zealand Dairy, and uh, in one of my positions, I was responsible for all of the laboratories uh, in the dairy company. And those laboratories would take product and we would test the product, and we would see if that product was fit for export. Now, the whole purpose of the testing 
wasn't to prove that the product that we were producing was rubbish. The whole purpose of the testing was to prove that that product was good enough. We wanted that product to succeed. We wanted that product to come up to, to expectation. And that's the same with trials. That verse says, Consider it pure joy, knowing that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And it actually goes on and says, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. If you want to mature, if you want to grow, if you want to have more kingdom influence, then expect to be tested. In fact, I was reading, or I was listening to a message by Frank DiMaggio, who is one of the great teachers on leadership. And he was saying that the greater the influence that you want to have, the more extraordinary a leader you want to be, the better the person that you want to become, then the more trials and the more testing that you're going to need to go through. How many people over the last five years, have gone through some difficult times. Every one of us, just about. Every one of us. Every one of us. What the Apostle James was saying was, welcome the testing, knowing that if you're going through trials, if you're going through difficulties, then God has something extraordinary for you in your life. Romans 8 verse 37 says, and all these things we know that we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. And I want to illustrate this this morning from a chapter in the Old Testament from 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And while we're going to look at one moment, one problem, one test that this king was facing, I want you to keep in mind that in life what we're trying to do is develop a victorious lifestyle. We want to, don't want to just... Get over one problem. It's like, no good if the All Blacks just won one test. They want to win the series. They want to take it all out. And that should be our aim in life. Not just to get through one problem, but to build a lifestyle where we are continuously defeating the problems of life. Anyone with me on that one? Okay, let's go to it. So, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Just to give you some background then. So, after King Solomon dies, the Israel, the kingdom of Israel, is split. And it's split up into ten northern tribes, kingdom of Israel, and two southern tribes, kingdom of Judah. Now, firstly, Asa and then his son Jehoshaphat come to the throne of Judah. Asa leaves Judah in an absolute mess. But Jehoshaphat, he's got a heart after God, and therefore God is with them. And he turns the nation of Judah back to God. But just when things seem to be going really good, his enemies, three kingdoms, all combine and decide that they're going to attack him all at once. And so 2 Chronicles 20 tells us that the first thing that Jehoshaphat does is he calls the people to fast and pray. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 3. Alarmed 
Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And during that time of corporate prayer, do you want to just flick that? Um, how are we going with the, what happened to our? <laughs> ah, way. <laughs> Trying to get it down. Good. All right, because we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of scriptures. All right, you'll either have to listen good or listen good. How's that? All right, so during a time of corporate prayer, and you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12, if you've got Bibles with you, but I've got them all up on the screen, if you can. Yeah. Well done. Get something up there. That'll do. Anything. Give her a hand. <laughs> we've just had a whole bunch of technical problems this morning. That's why we're a little bit late starting. So, uh, so 2 Chronicles 20 and starting at verse 12, it says this. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? He's talking about the um, guys that are coming to attack him. He says, for we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. And as he stood in the assembly, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. You will not have to fight in this battle Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give to you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshipped before the Lord. Then some Levites and the Kohathites and the Korathites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. And early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. And as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you'll be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you'll be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. And as they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. What a tremendous uh, victory they had. I mean, of themselves, there was no way that Jehoshaphat or Israel uh, of Judah were going to win in that battle. In verse 12, says, God, we have no power to face this vast army that's attacking us. We don't know what to do. From time to time, I think every one of us are going to face problems where we, which just seem absolutely overwhelming. And you just don't know what to do. The, the reality is in life, we're never, ever supposed to overcome life's problems 
in our own strength by ourselves, with our own wisdom, with our own resources. We weren't created to be like that. So what do you do when you absolutely don't know what to do? You have to turn your eyes from the problem to the answer to the problem, which is our God. Amen? And cry out to Him. The very first thing that Jehoshaphat does is he seeks God. It says in verse 3 and 4, Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast through all Judah. Then the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek Him. You see, we're not created to handle problems alone. It's impossible to live the victorious Christian life outside of God. It's His grace that's sufficient for us. Uh, when we have a problem, we need to learn to go to God first. Now, if you're a typical Kiwi, that's against the way that we grew up because we're supposed to be those pioneers who break in the land, who are tough, who break through for ourselves, who are self-sufficient. And so if you're like me, often when you come up against a problem, you go through your toolbox, you go and you try everything, you do everything that you can, and then when nothing else works, you sometimes read the instructions. You ever had that? Try to build something for your kids. You spend an hour or so, it's not working, you think, oh man, what did I do? Oh no, read the instructions. Oh, is that how it's supposed to go together? In fact, if you've ever got a wet and forget um, packet, it says uh, basically on the front of it, read the instructions, read the instructions, read the instructions. Well, life's like that. We're going to learn to read the instructions. We're going to learn to go to God first. In fact, the Apostle Paul said, don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Let God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. What a great, great translation that is in the Message Bible. Jehoshaphat, his people, had no plan, no power, no allies. We don't know what to do. But they looked to God and believed God for an answer. In 1993, uh, I was on a missions trip to India. We flew into Hyderabad, and then we went two hours north to a little place called Kamaradi, and we were doing missions out from there, out from the village, Someone's left a Toyota beige car going, J-U-A-292. All right, if that's anyone, everyone, everyone close your eyes, then someone will duck out quickly. All right, J-U-292, Toyota beige, still going. So we flew up uh, to Hyderabad, went into uh, a little place two hours north to Kamaradi, and we were going out and doing village Outreaches from there, and one night we were in this little we were in this um, little village, and uh, we had a couple of hundred people in the meeting, and people were coming up for prayer. And when you're praying for people, it's really it's really good to pray for people with a 
snotty nose or a stiff back or something like that, because uh, it doesn't extend your faith that much. But they carried this guy up. And I thought, whoa. And they told me his story. So what he had been doing, he'd been digging a well. And he was one of the last of the workers on the well. And in those um, situations, they had a rope with uh, knots tied in it. And the workers would hold on to the, the knot and they'd pull them up. Well, he was the last one to be pulled up. And uh, whether the guys were tired, whether it was just taking a little bit long, they don't know. But he gets nearly to the top and he lets go. And he goes 30 foot down into this well. And fortunately, the floor of the well was reasonably damp and soft, but he landed on his feet. And so he had compressed fractures all the way up his spine. Just He spent three months in hospital and couldn't walk. And in India, if you can't walk, you can't work. And there's no social welfare there. So you don't walk, you don't, you don't work, you don't live. And so they brought this guy up, couldn't walk, couldn't work, and they asked me to pray for him. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You cry out to God. And I just prayed a real simple prayer. Didn't have a heck of a lot of faith in it, I must admit. But I just said, God, well, I don't know what to do. Uh, you're the one with the power. I just ask you to heal this man in Jesus' name. Power of God came on him. Fell to the ground. I thought, oh, no. He's collapsed. They pulled him up, and suddenly he was walking. He was running. He was leaping. He'd been completely healed in Jesus' name. That's the kind of God that we serve. When we don't know what to do, God knows what to do. And he knows what to do in every situation and circumstance. Not only does he want to help us, but he wants to help our friends. He wants to help our neighbors. He wants to help our workmates. He wants to pour out his love on Kai Tyre. He wants to give hope to the hopeless. He wants peace to those that are living in fear. He wants to see sick people healed. He wants to see people come into freedom for those that are bound. He wants to... Give forgiveness to those who are living in sin. Prayer connects us to God. And it's amazing that when you're being connected, that you find that that's what we are created for. We are created to have that connection with God. We're not created to live alone. We've been created for a relationship with God, and out of that relationship comes blessing, comes good things. When we read that passage, did you notice that the whole of Judah came out to pray? The whole nation came out to pray. There is something incredibly powerful about corporate prayer meetings. When we pray every Thursday night as a church, I know that Kaitaia are praying. I know that West are praying. I know that City are praying. I know that Rotorua is praying. I know that Tuvalu is praying. By the way, we just started up a Tuvalan home group, life group in our church. We've got a couple of Tuvalan families, which is absolutely fantastic. But the reality is when people pray together, 
I always find that the power is multiplied. There is something about a corporate prayer meeting. Pray in your life groups. Go to those corporate prayer meetings because that's where the power of God is released and multiplied. That's why I always give an altar call when I preach. Because I know there is something about the power and the authority of God that comes when there is a group of believers gathered together. God always moves. I remember back to when Penny and I were just married 40 years ago and my brother, who was five years younger than me, he was a bit of a rascal, a bit more than a rascal at school. Uh, He was kicked out of secondary school for pushing drugs and he was just into everything. And so shortly after Penny and I got married, we decided that um, we should get on his case with God and see if we can get this guy saved. Well, we didn't know what to do. So our church on a Sunday night, what, what we used to do is we used to write out a prayer request. We'd write the name of someone that we wanted to pray for. We'd put it on a piece of paper and we'd put it in. So Penny and I only did this once. We wrote my brother's name, Alan James, on a piece of paper. We put it in and there was a, about a hundred other prayer requests there that night and the Everyone laid hands on them, and we just prayed as a church. What good's that sort of thing going to do? Well, three days later, Wednesday night, I get a phone call from my brother, and he never rang me. And he said, oh, I just want to tell you what happened to me. I said, what happened, Alan? He says, Monday night. He said, I had a dream. I dreamt I was in an astral projection trip, and it went wrong, and I found myself spiraling down this deep, dark tunnel. He says, and I knew I was going to hell. And I looked back up the tunnel, and I saw this bright light at the end of the tunnel. So I called out to God, and when I called out to God, I found myself lifting, and I come up out of it, and he said, I woke up, and I was scared. Esless, I think his words were. <clears throat> anyway, you can fill in the blanks. Um, he said, but that wasn't the end of it. He said, Tuesday night, I had exactly the same dream. Astral projection trip went wrong. I was spiraling down this dark tunnel, knowing I was going to hell. He said, I looked up saw a bright light at the other end of the tunnel, I cried out to Jesus. And as soon as I cried out to Jesus, I lifted, I came out of it. He said, and I gave my heart to the Lord. And I just want to ring you up and tell you that I've just become a Christian. That was about 38 years ago. And he's still serving the Lord today. One prayer in a corporate prayer meeting, and my brother got saved. One prayer. Get along to those meetings and see what God will do. So pray. Secondly, develop a heart for worship. Worship isn't about singing a few songs, although I always find that music is the sound of heaven. Music connects us with heaven. There's music in heaven. If you don't like music, you're going to have a big struggle in eternity. Because people are singing, there's choirs all over the place. Worship, though, isn't about singing a few songs. It's about recognizing God's worth, worth worship. 
the worth of God. Jehoshaphat and his people had a, had a heart to praise and worship God, born out of putting God first in their life, born out of their relationship with God. They haven't even started the battle, and yet they were praising God. But they weren't just praising Him for the answer. They were praising Him for who He was. It's just they praised Him for the beauty of His holiness. It wasn't just about what God could do for them. It was about lifting Him up, lifting Him up, lifting Him up. And that's the principle that we need to learn. There is something in the heart of man that can't be satisfied by anything else but a relationship with God. We were created to worship God. Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our soul finds no rest until they find it in thee. J.B. Phillips said, There is a God-shaped vacuum in each one of us that only he can fill. And if you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, then your life won't be experiencing the peace. Your life won't be experiencing the best that it could be because you haven't found the one who made you, the one who wants the best for you, the one who has got a reason for you to live. King David said, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Man, I want to be in that situation. I know that in life I'm going to go through troubles, but I want God to be able to get me out of those things. I want to be victorious in life. When God's people praise Him and develop the heart of a worshiper, it's it's a bit like, do you know what the, the most dangerous sport is in the world? Do you know what the sport is that more people die while playing than any other sport? Bowls. More people die playing bowls than any other sport because mainly old people play bowls and they drop dead, all right? But anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in. But, but you know how an outdoor bowl has got a bias to it? You know, when you bowl it down, it doesn't go straight, it curves. Okay, that's what we're supposed to be like in life. We're supposed to have a bias towards God. We're supposed to curve towards Him in every situation. doesn't matter which way we are bold, we're supposed to turn towards God. And that was the situation with Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. They've been preaching the gospel in Philippi. They delivered a demon-possessed woman. And because of that, they were beaten and they were arrested and they were chucked into prison. But at midnight, Paul and Silas, sitting there in their chains... They were praying and singing hymns to God. And it says that all the other prisoners were listening to them. And then suddenly there was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. I think you find that that's God's miracle power to deliver from bondage as a result of the cry, the praise, and the worship 
of God's people. And when God's people are praying, when God's people are worshipping, everybody gets set free. Everybody gets set free. People want to know how they can get through their difficult times. People are looking for answers. And when they see that God answers your prayers, they'll want to know Him and be set free. Take every opportunity you can to show people that God is a God who answers prayer. When I was uh, the technical executive of New Zealand Dairy, I, when I came, first came into the job, uh, they gave me a new secretary. And the, um, the secretary that I got uh, was the secretary to the general manager of Scalar Up New Zealand, and she resigned from that job so that she could come and work for me. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool. And so in the two weeks between jobs... Uh, my secretary, Leslie, had been out in the garden and she got RSI. And if any of you have done any typing, you know that if you've got RSI, you can't type. You can't work as a secretary. So first week into the job, and I didn't really know this, um, this lady. She was older than me, uh, but I was the boss. So I got her into my office and I said, can I pray for you? Well, she wasn't a Christian. I was the boss. She couldn't really say no. So anyway, so, um, so I grabbed her hands and I just prayed a simple prayer. I said, God, just touch Leslie. Just heal her now in Jesus' name. Well, guess what happened? She didn't get healed. Amazing. Couldn't believe it. One of the few times I prayed for unbelievers and they didn't get healed. I was only in the job for about um, six more months after that. Um, and a few years later, I caught up with Leslie at a social function, and we were talking together, and she said, you know, Don, you know, the most beautiful thing in my life was that day in the office when you took me aside and you prayed for me. She said, you might not know it, but God so touched me that that morning, that three weeks later, I gave my heart to the Lord. And she'd been working together ever since. She'd been working and working for God from that time onwards, simply because I took the opportunity to pray for her. And I prayed for my workmates when I was uh, working in a laboratory. I prayed for them out in the... In the um, in the workshop, I prayed. Any opportunity I could get, I prayed for them. And you should take the opportunity yourself. So you may be the only Christian in your workplace. Well, pray and get someone to agree with you and see what God will do. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21, 22. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise Him for the splendor of His holiness as they went out at the head of the army. You imagine the New Zealand armed forces in Afghanistan sending the worship team out in front of them. That's what they did. That is exactly what they did. They sent the worship team out in front of the army. And as a result, God came down. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord sent ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who were invading Judah. Cry out to God. 
Develop that bias towards God so that you'll be praising Him and worshiping Him. And thirdly, position yourself to receive God's promise. How, how do you do that? How, how can you put yourself in a place to receive God's promise? Well, you just do everything that you need to do to grow in your relationship with God. So, sort yourself out. Have a regular time of getting together with God in the mornings. Determine that you're going to read His Word because His Word is life. His Word is the direction. That's, that's, the, that's the roadmap to life. And as you read God's Word, you'll find that the pages will come alive and there will be something of the Word of God that will get into your life and help direct you, help change you, help order your ways. It says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his ways. Well, how are you going to know those? Get into God's Word. Let Him, let Him touch you. Position yourself by being regular in the fellowship of one another because when you get together, something happens. This, this is like the, the training ground. This isn't it. Sundays isn't it. If being a Christian was all about just today, for this hour, it would be a pretty sad life. You know, being a Christian is about being out there. It's about seeing the kingdom of God, the values of God, out, come out there. That's why we pray, God, let your kingdom come. And Kai Tyre, as it is in heaven. This is just a training ground. This is where you get your marching orders. This is where you learn a little bit more. Out there is where you put it into practice. You can't live your whole life in church. You've got to take what you live here, what you learn here, take it out there and live for God out there. 2 Chronicles 20 verse 16. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. There is a time in every situation and every problem and every battle that you have to decide to take a stand or you're going to lose the battle by default. How many people have read in the paper over the last few weeks some of the stuff about Kai Tire? Most of you? I, I read... Uh, Yesterday, I was reading an article, I think it was either in the Herald or stuff, online, and it basically said, it was talking about the suicide rate in Kaitaia, okay? And it said, there is no cavalry coming for the people of Kaitaia. And I thought, yeah, you're right. There is no cavalry coming for the people of Kaitaia, but there is a cavalry coming. And Jesus Christ is the answer to the people of Kaitaia. You know, Kaitaia just exhibits all of those things that you get when a population is poor and is living outside of Jesus Christ. The answer to the problems is not the government throwing more money. It's not getting more organizations involved. The answer to Kaitaia's problems is Jesus Christ. 
when young men and young women come to know Jesus Christ, they have a reason for living. About three years ago, we had a government official come and talk to all the ministers in Whangarei. Uh, she was an expert in, um, in suicide prevention. And she was telling the churches how to gain government funding for programs that they were running. She told us that the Whangarei region had the highest number of suicides per head of population in the world. And I turned to the Baptist minister who had also been in the city for over 20 years like I had. And I said to him, I said, Graham, I said, over the last 20 years, you and I have had the biggest youth groups in the city. We've seen thousands of young people go through our youth groups. Okay, we're in a region where there is more suicides per head of population than anywhere else. Tell me, how many young people who have been through your youth groups have committed suicide over the last 20 years? And he said, one. And I said, well, by the grace of God, we've had none. And so that tells me, and I turned to the government worker and I said, that tells me that when young people come to know Jesus Christ, they're not swallowed up by the trends of society, but they have a reason for living. The Bible tells me, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And when young people come to know Jesus Christ, they have a future. They have a hope. They have a reason for living. And it goes against everything that's happening out there in the population. You know, there might not be a cavalry coming for Kaitaia, but you guys are the hope of the city because you have the Holy Spirit within you. And you take him out into the city, and we can change the city in Jesus' name. We need to start believing. We need to start crying out to God. We need to start taking a stand and letting God do what only he can do. But we need to take a stand. The disciples, how can we feed a crowd of 5,000? You can't. But with Jesus Christ, you can Five loaves, two fishes, Moses' staff, David. How could he possibly kill Goliath with five stones? Well, actually, it only took one stone and God to kill that giant. And the giants that you see in Kaitaia, they can be done away with by the power and the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it takes and it takes a group of people who will take a stand. It'll take a group of people who will... Cry out to God for their town. It'll take a group of people who are biased towards God so that every moment, every situation, they'll see God and his ability to change things in that city. And it'll take a group of people who are prepared to take a stand and start declaring the prophetic words. Did you notice what, um, what that prophet said? What Jehoshaphat said when he was praying? He said, trust, trust. He said, have faith in the Lord your God and you'll be upheld. Have faith in his prophets 
and you will be successful. And there is a whole bunch of prophetic words that have been spoken over this place. And we need to begin to take a stand and begin to declare those things. I had one more point this morning, and that was put your trust in God. Because there's a time in the middle of problems of life where you have to just trust God and His Word. But this morning, I want us to start and take a stand. I want us all to stand up this morning right now. And I want you to begin to think of prophetic declarations. I want you to begin to think of those things that you want to see changed in Kaitaia. And we're going to start and deal with the city first, and then we're going to pray for individuals. What are the things that you want to see changed? What do you want to see happen in, in Kaitaia? Someone shout out something that you want to see happen. Revival. That would be a pretty good start, wouldn't it? What are some of the other things you want to see? Hope. Yeah. What are some of the other things? Jobs. What are some of the other things? Healing. What about some of the other things? What was that? No sexual abuse. Yeah. What about some of the other things? Restoration. What about some of the other things? What was that? Didn't hear Kai, oh, totally, totally, totally. What about some of the other things? No suicide. You know the reason why the enemy is attacking the young people? The enemy always attacks those areas that God wants to bless. You think about it. When, when Jesus was being born, what did the evil king do? He tried to kill off all the... All the kids. When Moses was being born, what did Pharaoh try to do? Destroy all the kids. You know, God is raising up a young people here who are going to change this region. And so the enemy wants to, wants to put despair and disappointment and discouragement into our young people's lives, whereas we can start to declare hope. We can start to declare a future. We can start to declare a goodness of God. We can start to declare blessing. So just for a couple of minutes, I want us everyone to pray all at once. I want you to raise your voice and I want you to just to cry out to God right now and say, God, we're trusting in you. We thank you that God, you've got good things for Kaitaia. You've got good things for our young people. You've got good things, Lord. And we speak those good things now in Jesus' name. We lay our hands on those things. We lay our hands on them. Come on, cry out to God. This is you taking a stand. This is joining together. This is seeing a change in our city. This is a great place to live. This is a great place to live. This is God's place. This is where revival is going to be. Come on, cry out to God. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. Take that stand. Take that stand. Take that stand together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And just one key when you're taking that stand, declare the good things of God. Don't so much focus on the negative as focus on the good things. So God, we pray together that, Lord, we pray for our young people that you would give them a future and a hope, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that, God, there'd be waves of young people in Kaitaia who would get saved, who would come to know you, that you are the way, the truth, and the life 
that their life might be hopeless outside of Jesus Christ. But God, you sent Jesus to give them a future, a hope, a life more abundantly. Lord, we know the enemy comes to kill, steal, destroy. But Jesus Christ, you came to give us life and life more abundantly. So come on, let's give the Lord a clap this morning. Thank you, Jesus. I know there'll be people here this morning who are going through difficult situations and you need a breakthrough. And if that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. But just before that, I know I've preached to the church. I've spoken to the church this morning. But there may be one person here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ. But you know that your life is empty without knowing God. And this morning, you just want to connect with your Creator. You just want to know God. You want to know that peace that passes all understanding. You want to have a reason for living. Not just you, but your whole family. You look at your kids, you look at the situation, you look at how things are, and you think, God, they need to get better. And the way they get better is by first giving your life to Jesus Christ because He loved you so much that He gave His life for you. It's the one person here this morning. And you want to give your life to God. You want to turn it over. You want to say, Pastor, I... I I want to know God. I want to know Him. I want to know His peace. I want to know His guiding and leading in my life. If that's you this morning, why don't you just give us a little wave. I'll know who you are. We'll pray for you. Anyone like that? Just as I look around. Anybody? Yep, I can see that. Thank you. You Put your hand down. Anyone else? You? Great. Anybody else? Yep, fantastic. Anybody else? Anybody else? I want to give time over this because this is the most fantastic decision you'll ever make in your life. Yeah, I can see that. Fantastic. Anybody else? Anyone else? Come on, church, you should be praying. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about changing lives for eternity here. Anyone else? Thank you, Jesus. All right. I'm just gonna, I want the opportunity just to pray for people this morning. And I'm just going to ask um, Penny just to come and Paul and Sally Ann. If you're facing a situation this morning that you just need a breakthrough, you need a miracle in, whether it's healing because of your health, whether it's a job situation, whether it's a family situation, whatever it is, I want you just to come stand on the front and we're just going to pray. You need a breakthrough, you come, come up now. Come on, I know there'll be a heap of you. Best thing you can do when you don't know what to do is to cry out to God. And those guys, those people who put up your hand because you needed to know Jesus Christ, why don't you just come up right now too so I can uh, just talk with you. Yep, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, come right forward, guys. All right. Absolutely amazing. I was at university, Massey University when 
I cried out to God for the first time. I said, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And he just came on me, healed a hand which I'd smashed up playing soccer. Just completely changed my life. And in a moment, God can change your life for eternity. He sees your heart. He sees the cry of your heart. So if you come this morning and you want God to come into your life, then I want us all to pray this prayer. Just repeat after me. We're just going to ask God to come in. We're just going to say, give an invitational prayer. So why don't you just repeat after me? Dear Heavenly Father, please come into my life. I know I have let you down by living my own way. But this morning, I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me for the way I've lived. Come into my life, fill me with your Holy Spirit, and help me to live a life that's pleasing to you. Amen. If you prayed that and you meant that, then right now the Holy Spirit will be starting to do His work in your life. Your life will be absolute change. You'll begin to see things in a new life.